Hi guys, it's Hannah. Welcome back for episode three of my podcast, The Hypochondriac's Guide. I spend a lot of time thinking about strange and terrible ways that I might die, and now, with the help of this podcast, you can too. Today I'm going to be talking about an extremely understudied virus called chlorovirus ACTV1. ACTV1 is pretty large for a virus, about 100 to 200 nanometers. This is still about 100 times smaller than the average human cell. Up until pretty recently, this virus was only known to infect single-celled freshwater algae. So why on earth should we care about an algae virus? Obviously, algae are important in an environmental sense, but that's not really what the theme of this podcast is. We care about this virus because, in 2014, it turned up in humans. Dun-dun-dun. Ever understated, the scientists writing about this experiment described this as unexpected. Finding ACTV1 in humans is more than unexpected. It's totally bonkers. Obviously, you're not allowed to say bonkers in a scientific paper. Anyway, let's examine why this is such a crazy discovery. Many viruses and bacteria are species-specific, which is why you don't have to worry about giving your cold to your dog. Like many animals, viruses and bacteria need very specific environments to survive and have often co-evolved with their host species for hundreds if not thousands of years. Pathogens that can spread between animals and humans are called zoonotic. Generally, the more genetic similarity there is between two species, the more likely it is that they will be able to contract similar pathogens. The vast majority of zoonotic pathogens infect animals in the same class, i.e. a disease can only spread from mammal to mammal, from bird to bird, or reptile to reptile. Some diseases that can spread between mammals include rabies, giardia, and anthrax. There's a few pathogens that can spread across classes. Some examples include salmonella, a type of bacteria that can be transmitted from reptiles and birds to humans, or certain strains of influenza that can pass from birds to humans. However, it's incredibly rare for pathogens to be able to infect different kingdoms. That means to spread between animals and plants. I could only find one other instance of a plant virus that could potentially infect humans, and the research here is pretty shaky. Researchers found that people who had consumed peppers infected with a certain virus called pepper mild model virus had certain clinical symptoms, including abdominal pain and itchy skin. However, the authors didn't test if this virus could actually enter human cells or see if it could produce the same symptoms in another mammalian species. They also admitted that, quote, clinical symptoms may be imputable to another cofactor, including spicy food, end quote. So I'm taking that study with a pretty big grain of salt. Anyway, let's get back to the main story. ACTV1 may be the first plant virus that can infect humans, which is pretty crazy. Because plant viruses don't usually infect humans, scientists weren't even looking for it. So how did they find a virus that they weren't looking for? Most of you have probably heard of the microbiome. The microbiome refers to microorganisms that live on our skin, as well as in our nose, mouth, and digestive tract. The microorganisms that colonize us are usually harmless and sometimes even help us. There is still an immense amount of research to be done on the microbiome, but early research indicates that bacteria in the gut help us to extract nutrients from our food and may help to modulate the immune system, and bacteria on the skin may help protect us from invasion by harmful pathogens. Although most researchers study the bacterial component of the microbiome, the researchers in this particular study were interested in the human virome, i.e. the viruses that colonize the human body. So the researchers were originally just interested in characterizing the human virome. They took oropharyngeal samples, which is a fancy way of saying throat swabs, from 92 people who were participating in a study on cognition. They then ran a complete DNA analysis of these samples. 
Thanks to gene databases, the researchers were able to match most of the DNA sequences they found to DNA that's associated with bacteria and viruses normally found in people's throats. But some of the pieces of DNA didn't seem to fit any of the bacteria or viruses they expected to see. So they did some more digging and found that these weird sequences came from ACTV1. And it wasn't just one or two people who had this algae virus. About 40% of the study participants had it. Presence of the virus didn't seem to be associated with gender, age, race, socioeconomic background, or any of the other demographic data that the researchers collected. But, and here's the part that's kind of upsetting, the virus was associated with worse performance on certain cognitive tests, especially those requiring sustained attention. In fact, Newsweek ran an article with the perhaps overdramatic title, American Researchers Discover a Stupidity Virus. Okay, so that's kind of scary. But obviously, correlation doesn't equal causation. The number of Nicolas Cage movies per year is actually pretty closely correlated with the number of people who drown in swimming pools, for example. So it's possible that a third unknown factor was causing people to perform worse on cognitive tests and causing them to be more susceptible to the virus, or that these two things just happened randomly. The super cool thing about this study is that the researchers didn't stop with the correlational study. In order to test causation, they gave the virus to a group of elementary school children and studied how it altered their cognition. Just kidding. You definitely are not allowed to do that. The researchers did give the virus to mice, though. Mice that were given the ACTV1 performed worse on cognitive tests than control mice and had changes in gene expression in the hippocampus, a part of the brain that is essential for learning and memory. So that's some pretty solid evidence for causation rather than just correlation. In the original study, researchers weren't sure what the mechanism of action was. In other words, how was the virus causing these changes in behavior? The virus might be having these effects directly by infecting brain cells and causing them to die or change their gene expression patterns. Or the virus might be having these effects indirectly. In this case, they hypothesized that the virus might be causing inflammation in the body. These inflammatory proteins from the body can make their way into the brain, causing changes in the way the brain functions. A later study in mice showed that ACTV1 infection did in fact increase inflammatory proteins when it was introduced into a culture of macrophages, which is a type of immune cell. The virus also promoted inflammation in the brain, but in that experiment, scientists injected the virus directly into the brain. Since we don't know if the virus is actually able to enter the brain on its own, this study may or may not be relevant, especially as any foreign substance injected into the brain might cause an inflammatory reaction merely due to the fact that the cells of the brain recognize that it does not belong there. So the information that we have about ACTV1 is so interesting, but really scarce. To better understand this virus, and to figure out if it's a threat, we need to do a lot more research in both humans and mice. So here's the rundown. You might be infected with a mysterious plant virus that makes you worse at focusing and remembering information. There's no standardized test for it, no treatments, and very little research being done on the virus. But let's also keep it in perspective. We hate the idea of an external factor impairing our cognitive abilities, but there's plenty of evidence that a lack of exercise or a high-fat, high-sugar diet will also decrease our cognition, and it's not like that's made everyone hit the gym or give up bacon cheeseburgers. Anyway, I'm going to leave you guys with that. That's it for this week. If you like this podcast, or if you didn't, please rate it or leave a comment on iTunes. Your feedback is really helpful. Thanks so much for listening to the Hypochondriac's Guide. See you next time.